We've reached this point in the gospel, we know what to expect. We've walked with the disciples through these last days of Jesus. We saw that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Jesus went with his disciples to the garden and he was arrested, abandoned by the twelve apostles. We saw Jesus in his trial before the religious leaders, then taken before the Roman governor and sentenced to death. Jesus beaten by the soldiers, mocked by the crowds, crucified between two thieves, dead and buried. And these disciples, these women who have followed Jesus from Galilee, they've heard his teaching. Mary Magdalene herself was, is a recipient of, of Jesus' healing, his miracles. They witnessed his death. They saw his body removed from the cross and laid in a stone-cold tomb. Now, on Sunday morning, they go to the tomb to finish the burial rituals. We know what to expect as we walk to the tomb. Jesus Christ is crucified, dead, buried. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, James and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. See, on Easter morning, we know what to expect. We know because our, our creeds, our songs announce to us the resurrection of the dead. We know because it's Sunday morning. The, the day of worship has been changed to this day, the day of resurrection. But when we walk with the women to the tomb, we see with them that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is entirely unexpected. The surprise of the resurrection challenges our expectations. I mean, as, as we read, the, these women, these disciples had no expectations for the resurrection. Jesus, at the end of Friday, there was a quick burial in order to get it done before the Sabbath came, before the sunset and the day of worship began on Friday evening. The women had to wait through the Sabbath, and then when the Sabbath had ended, they purchased the needed supplies, the spices, the perfumes to bring this day. 
And they are expecting to find a beaten and broken and bloodied corpse lying in the grave. In their haste, in their sorrow, they haven't even thought of the basics. Yes, they, they got the supplies, but they haven't even thought through the, the fact that they won't be able to get into the tomb. When they were there on Friday, Joseph of Arimathea and his servants, they had put a, a large stone to seal the tomb. And, and the women, as they walked, did you, did you notice it in verse 3? This question, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I mean, that's the most ordinary of questions. It's a question that betrays the fact that they have no expectation that they will find Jesus raised from the dead. They are expecting a lifeless corpse in this tomb. And they now realize. They haven't even thought of this detail. There will be no servants of Joseph there. There are none of the disciples, the male apostles walking with them. How are they even going to move this stone to get to the body? See, because they were not anticipating the resurrection. See, on Easter, you and I might think that, that, well, these are just primitive people from an ancient culture, and and they would believe anything. And so this idea of a resurrection, which which you and I as modern, sophisticated people, we have trouble believing, but they, they would just believe anything. But don't you see the, the idea of a resurrection doesn't make sense in anyone's worldview, in anyone's culture. I mean, to the Jews, yes, these Jewish women, they may have, from their vantage point, looked forward to the very end of history, somewhere way in the future when when time would end and God would raise the dead at the the last day. But no one could have expected a, a resurrection today. The Jew, for the Romans and the Greeks, this is this was foolishness. I mean, the only thing that would actually change these women's expectations is the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For they walk with the ordinary expectations that they will find his dead body in the tomb. The resurrection, the surprise of the resurrection, challenged their expectations and it challenges ours. You and I come with some of the same kinds of doubts. You and I have been to to funerals. And none of us walk into a funeral with the expectation that maybe... Maybe in the midst of this service, the body will pop up out of that coffin and walk out the back door. No, you and I know that doesn't happen. You and I understand what death is. And so did these women. They didn't anticipate the resurrection, but the words of this angel, this young man that is the the way in which they see him. The other gospel writers tell us there, there are angels present. The the words of the angel, though, change everything. He says to them, look at verse 6, don't be alarmed. Okay, that's exactly the response that you have, though, when you see an angel. You are immediately alarmed. That's how everyone responds to angels. A divine heavenly warrior is sitting inside a tomb. Don't be alarmed, he tells them. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. You're here for Jesus, the one who came from Nazareth in Galilee. That peasant preacher who who you walked beside on the shores of Galilee, the one who healed you, the one who taught you. That's the one you're looking for, the one who you saw crucified. 
And then the next word from the angel, it's three words in, in English, are the words that change everything. The angel says, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen. He is not here. See, the place where they laid him. These women, they saw where Jesus' body had been laid. There is no body there. This tomb is empty. Only an angel awaits. The body of Jesus has been raised to new life. The surprise of the resurrection challenges our expectations because God has done a once-in-history pivotal moment of raising Jesus Christ from the dead. This isn't the the sentimental kind of wishes of, of a Hallmark card where you and I think, oh, that's great, this inspirational idea that Jesus has been raised. No, it's more than an inspirational idea. The dead body of Jesus Christ is now alive. Jesus Christ has been raised physically, bodily, really from the dead. That's the central message of the Christian gospel, that he has risen. Now, but, but you and I might still, still be tempted to think, but, but, but isn't there the possibility that that the surprise, the shock of these women on this day led to the creation of some sort of legend. I mean, the body was gone, and, and, and perhaps there are reasons. Maybe, maybe the disciples took the body. Maybe the, the Jews took the body. But there is no body, and so, so in, their, in their surprise, in their shock, these women create the story that, that they have this vision. But, but really, this story doesn't have any of the the language of an epic, a heroic epic from ancient cultures. There's no no, uh, outlandish language describing the the raising of the, the king, the warrior. No, I mean, think of it. It's the most ordinary of descriptions. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they're on the way to the tomb and they ask themselves, um, yeah, kind of have a big problem here. We can't even get into the tomb. We don't have a way to move the stone. I mean, the language itself, the description is so ordinary, and yet the events are extraordinary. But this, this can't be a legend because it, it's, it, it would be self-defeating if this were the story the church made up to redeem the cross, to try and make sense of the fact that Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, is dead. Because actually, in their culture, it wasn't that unusual Every decade or so, you'd have a a peasant preacher would show up and say, I'm the Messiah. And then the Romans would deal with him. His followers would disband, and that would be the end of it. And that's probably what these women anticipated. Jesus, this great prophet, this great miracle worker, is dead. Let's do something to honor his body. There is is no, no possibility of them creating the legend here. Because if you were going to create the legend, you wouldn't write it this way. How many of Jesus' 12 apostles walk with the women to the tomb? None of them. Now, Jesus had told them explicitly to anticipate his resurrection. In Mark's gospel, Mark tells us it happens at least three times. Back in in chapter 8, Verse 31, Peter has just proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. It's that, it's that pivotal hinge of Mark's gospel where we, where we come from the ministry in Galilee and we turn toward Jerusalem. 
And Jesus, we're told in Mark 8, 31, began to teach his, his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 8, 31, he tells them he will rise again. He says the same thing in the next chapter. Chapter 9, verse 31, he's teaching his disciples. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Again, in the next chapter, chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Three times Jesus tells his disciples what to expect. We're going to Jerusalem. I will suffer. I will die. And on the third day, I will be raised. But not one of these male disciples thinks to himself, it's the third day. You know what? The women are going to the tomb. I'm just going to tag along just in case. Just, just to, maybe, possibly. Let me just, I'll kind of stay back, hang back. I'll just see what might have happened. How many of the disciples walk with these women? None of them. None of them anticipate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. None of them think, well, well it, it, the, today is the third day. Let me go see. And the very fact that the, the first witnesses to the resurrection are women reminds us that this is not the way you would make up a story in the ancient world. Whether you were a Jew, a Roman, a Greek, women would not be trusted witnesses. Only God himself would choose women to be the first witnesses to the resurrection. Only God would trust this message to them. See, if you were trying to convince the Jews, you were trying to convince the Romans, you were trying to convince the Greeks, this isn't the kind of detail you would add into the story if you were making it up. If it's a legend, you write them out of the story. You put Peter and John and, and, and James there at the tomb, waiting eagerly on Easter morning as the sun rises for Jesus to walk out of the tomb. That's how legends are written. And even the, even the names of the women here in the story show us the fact that, that what Mark is doing, what the gospel writers are doing, is giving us historical fact. See, we're introduced in, in verse 1 of our chapter to, to three women. Mary Magdalene, she's a woman f famous in the gospel stories and in the gospel of Luke. She's healed of demon possession. And so she's the woman who's, whose name is recorded in each of the gospels as being there at the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now only Luke, or only Mark, our gospel writer, gives us the name of Salome. She's not mentioned in any of the other gospels. In Matthew's gospel, he has, he has Mary Magdalene and he has some other women named, but he doesn't have Salome. And, and we see actually Mark himself is, is describing for us these women. Look back in chapter 15. At, at the, we're, we're at the cross with Jesus in verse 40. Mark 15, verse 40. Jesus has died, and we're told that some women were watching from a distance among them. So there's this crowd of women, and, and Mark is going to name three of them for us because they will be the three likely that were known in his community. I mean, Mary Magdalene is known that, that throughout the church universal. 
But these other women are probably known to among the community of which he writes. And so he's going to name three that are among this crowd of women there at the cross. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. You see, there's a, there's a crowd of women at the cross as witnesses to his crucifixion. And then a, a few verses later, Joseph of Arimathea has taken the body of Jesus and laid it in the tomb. And we're told, look at Mark 15, verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Only two of the three named women in our account are there at the tomb, at the burial. But then when we get to our chapter, all three are named. Well, well Luke gives us a, a different list of women who, who appear throughout his gospel. They're there at the, as witnesses to the crucifixion and resurrection. Mark names, or Matthew names different women that are among the crowd. He picks out a, a different group of, in this crowd that are at the cross. But, but none of the gospels, both Matthew and Mark, put only two women at the, at the burial of Jesus Christ. See, if you were making this up, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have gotten that fact correct between the gospel writers. You would just have Mary, Mary, and Salome, Mary, Mary, and Salome, Mary, Mary, and Salome. They saw it all. You would, just, you, would just let the, you would just bring this group of women straight through the story if you were making it up. Why go to the, the trouble of excluding Salome from seeing the burial? It's because everybody knows she wasn't there. You could go ask her. Go talk to Salome. Find out what she saw. She saw Jesus Christ dead. She saw the, the angel in the tomb. Go ask Mary Magdalene or the other Mary what they saw. They saw Jesus Christ dead, buried, and they saw the angel at the empty tomb. Because what Mark is giving us is he's, he's being very careful here to make sure he's giving us a true eyewitness account of what took place. It matches what, Mark, what Matthew says as well. These women are the, are the eyewitnesses, the ones to whom the, the message of the gospel is announced. Only the resurrection, the actual resurrection of Jesus could create this kind of history. There's no way the church would have or could have created the story. They weren't anticipating the resurrection, and they would surely have written the women out and written the, the apostles back in to the story. The resurrection challenges our expectations, but as we, as we look at how this, this message unfolds in Mark 16, we also see the resurrection changes our past. Look back at the, the words of the, the angel to the women. He told them that not to be alarmed, that Jesus Christ has risen. Now look at verse 7. He gives them a command. He gives them a responsibility, a task. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Now why add Peter's name here? Peter's one of the disciples. The angel clearly could have saved a little time, gotten the women moving out of the tomb by just saying, go tell the disciples that Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee. Why? It's because we've seen Peter's actions in this gospel. And, and Tom pointed this detail out to us a, a, a couple of weeks ago, the fact that Peter's name is mentioned specifically here. Why? Because Peter is the one who, who at the, on the night of Jesus' uh, arrest, 
Peter stands up. We read this back in chapter 14, verse 29. Peter says, even if everyone else falls away and abandons you, I will not. I will not abandon you, Jesus. I will stay by your side. You can count on me. Even if every one of them, if James and John and Matthew, if they walk away, I will not. But before that night ends, Jesus is arrested. Peter follows at a distance. He's there in the courtyard as the trial takes place. And a servant girl, a servant girl comes and says to him, you were with the Nazarene Jesus. Peter denied it. He says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he leaves. He moves away from her. Again, she, she finds him now with, with a crowd to, to, to hear him. She says, this is one of them. He's with Jesus. And again, Peter denied it. Jesus is there around the, the, the fire. And someone looks at him and says, surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. And then Peter, with, with fervor, we're, we're told this in, in Mark 14, verse 71, began to call down curses on himself. He swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And so the angel's message, go tell his disciples and Peter, is a message of grace. For surely had the women come with the message, Jesus Christ has been raised, he will meet you in Galilee. Peter would have been tempted to say, I think you should go without me. For Jesus, Jesus can't want me to come. Not after what I have done. No, you guys go ahead. You let me know how it goes. He can't want me there. I'm no longer even worthy to be considered a disciple, for I have abandoned him and denied him. And so this word of, of this reminder, this, the, the naming of Peter by the angel, the messenger of Jesus who says, go tell his disciples and Peter, meet me in Galilee. This is a message of grace. For you and I, some of us have stood there face to face with our sorrow and sin and thought, he saved others, but he, he doesn't mean me. Not after what I have done. Not after how I have abandoned him. Not after how I have hurt and harmed those closest to me. Not after years of running from him. Surely he doesn't mean me. But you see the invitation to Peter to come back to Jesus, to find forgiveness in Jesus, is an invitation to us. The resurrection changes our past because we find forgiveness. Think of the way Peter himself will, the, will later describe it to the church. These are familiar words to us in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. This is how Jesus describes the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous died for me, the unrighteous. Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and he was made alive by the Spirit. You see, for Peter, the death and resurrection of Jesus are his only hope. The only hope of finding forgiveness in Christ. And that's the, the grace that is extended to us today. 
If we hear Jesus calling to us the announcement of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is risen, then you and I find in his death and resurrection our forgiveness. The resurrection changes our past. The resurrection transforms our future. Because these women are given a command. They, the angel says to them, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus raised from the dead now has the authority to send out his followers with the message that he has been raised. He's declared to be the one with all power and authority. And so the angel announces to them, go and tell. Now, perhaps surprisingly, Mark's gospel ends at verse 8, very abruptly. Your, your Bible likely has further paragraphs printed, but probably has a note there describing that it's, it's not part of the original text. It was added much later, probably because one of the, the scribes saw this and thought, the women don't obey very well here in verse 8. And we know from the, the other gospels that, that, that they go, because look at verse 8. The women are given the command to go to tell the disciples, but look at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now again, it's the surprise of the resurrection. They weren't expecting this to take place. But we know that this is not where the, the story ends. Yes, this is where Mark's gospel ends, but this is not where the story of the Christian church ends. How do I know? Because you're sitting here on Sunday morning, the day of the resurrection. They went and announced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. The other gospels make that clear. That they go and tell. Because the resurrection changes everything. These women came to the tomb expecting to deal with the bloodied and decaying body of Jesus. To have to unwrap the grave clothes to anoint him with, with, with spices. And now they've been given a command from an angelic messenger that they are meant to turn the world upside down with the truth that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And while Mark's gospel ends abruptly, we're not, you and I aren't left to figure out, well, what's the meaning of this? What's this resurrection about? We're not, we're not left in doubt as readers of the gospel because he told us when he started the gospel what this means. Think of the way that, that Mark's gospel began. The very first words, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where he tells us this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the good news about Jesus, the anointed messianic king sent by God to rescue his people. This is the good news about Jesus, the son of God, with all power and authority and dominion. So you and I already know what the resurrection means. It proves that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the one justified, raised from the dead, declared with the power of God to be the son of God with all authority, who can, who can change not just your day. The, the women, their day is thrown upside down. Nothing is going as, as they planned. Their lives have been thrown upside down because now everything has changed. For the church, everything changes in the announcement of the angel that Jesus Christ 
has been raised from the dead. It means that, church, we now have the privilege, the joy, the responsibility of announcing that message, of being witnesses that Jesus Christ is risen. The women thought they knew what to expect until they find a tomb without a dead body, until they hear the words of the angels, He is not here. He is risen. And so everything changes. Jesus is shown to be the Christ. Jesus is shown to be the Son of God. Jesus has the power, the authority to command you to send us as a church with this message. And the future that Jesus Christ has secured for us, the future that is secured because Jesus is already raised from the dead, therefore your resurrection is guaranteed if you've turned to Christ by faith. That certainty of your future changes the present. Now you have the privilege, the joy to announce, to shout, to proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen. William Sangster was an evangelical preacher in London in the years surrounding World War II. In 1958, Reverend Sangster was diagnosed with an incurable disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. Pastor Sangster commits himself not to complain. He decides that he's going to look for the opportunities provided by his illness. He writes, There have been great gains already from my sickness. I live in the present. I'm grateful for little things. And I have more time. And I use it to pray. As the illness progresses, Sangster loses his ability to speak. A preacher without a voice. He can only communicate using the two fingers that he still has some control over. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he manages to write, How terrible to wake up on Easter and to have no voice to shout, He is risen. How terrible on this day to have no voice to proclaim, He is risen. But Pastor Sangster continues, But it is far worse to have a voice and not want to shout. The resurrection changes everything. Hope in the face of death joy in the burdens of pain, confidence that our sins are forgiven, purpose in our gospel mission. Will you shout today, Easter morning, Jesus Christ is risen. Let me pray. Father, we rejoice in this gospel hope, which transforms us giving us confidence that in our sorrow, in our sadness, in our doubt, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus, our King, our Conqueror, our Victor. Jesus, who offers us forgiveness. And so, Lord, as we, as we reflect on the power of your word, Lord, we thank you for the joy of announcing this resurrection. Lord, make us a church that is bold in our, in our proclamation of faith. 
And Lord, I pray even having heard your word today, having read it together, having sung the words, Lord, that you would give faith to those who have joined us, who come this morning without faith in Christ. Lord, that they would find today that the resurrection changes everything for them personally. That they would come to Jesus and find forgiveness in him. Lord, we rejoice that Jesus Christ is our king, our rescuer. And so we pray in his name. Amen.